Find out what the Bible has to say about lust in today's teaching and learn how to defeat this giant in our lives. This message is the 11th in the series, Gigantic. The message is entitled, A Giant Called Lust, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, wrapping up these next two weekends, a series that we've been involved in for a number of weeks now. Actually, this is the, the 11th week of the series. We will conclude this series next weekend, so don't miss the conclusion next weekend. And then following that, over the rest of the summer, a very exciting series we'll be involved in called The Way to Pray. And so over the summer, we'll be talking about how do we move deeper into our prayer lives? How do we learn how to pray most effectively? And so I encourage you to be here throughout the summer as we take a look at that very, very important topic. If you're out traveling, I would encourage you to make sure that you download the lessons as uh, you're maybe away for weekends, and those are free, available for you online, or the CDs are available also. It's uh, easy to just buy your computer, get those by the MP3. It's a great opportunity for you. I want to talk this weekend and next weekend about a giant in your life called lust. We've been talking about giants internal giants and how God wants us to conquer those things that rise up on the inside of us that keep us from being everything that God wants us to be, the great story of David conquering Goliath and how many times we often will use that story to illustrate our battle with things externally in our lives, big issues that we face and how God helps us to conquer those. But many times the biggest issues of life are the things inside of us. And so for four weeks we talked about conquering soul pain, the internal pain that we have on the inside of us. And how do we overcome that? We talked about conquering a giant called anger for two weeks. And then for two more weeks, we talked about conquering a giant called worry. And then we talked from that point about jealousy. How do we conquer that horrible giant that rises up? And now the final focus as we're wrapping up, a giant called lust. Now, this message will have two parts. I'm going to share with you two things today about lust that you need to understand. The first thing is very foundational sort of Bible study. And so I want you to stay very closely with me through the first part, my first point in the message this weekend, because it's really going to lay out some biblical foundations regarding lust and what the Scripture says about it. And so it may seem like maybe a little bit of a tedious Bible study, but it's extremely important because it lays the foundation for where we're going to go. And by the way, why are we here this weekend? We're here to study the Bible, right? And so we're in Bible study for the next 30, 35 minutes or so. So we want to dive in together, let God's Word get into our hearts very, very deeply. Let me say something else before I get into my first point of the message. Of course, today's topic, the topic of lust next weekend as well, is one that maybe is a little close to home for some of you. And as I'm about to share this message, I, I want to let you know that I'm not here in any way to, to condemn any of us about any of the issues in our life, although God's Word quite often will correct us and God's Word often makes us uncomfortable, and that's a good thing. If God's Word makes you uncomfortable, then it's, it's great because God's working in your life. But don't translate this into condemnation. Let it be something that helps you to grow, that moves you forward in your spiritual journey because we're going to get down to where the rubber meets the road. We're going to talk about some issues that sometimes aren't really talked about in church, and I hope it'll help you to, to begin to build some things into your life that will help you to conquer lust. The first thing I want you to notice from the Bible, again, sort of a Bible foundation lesson, is that we must understand that lust is after you. Lust is after you. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, to understand this topic, this idea that lust is after us, I need to lay for you the understanding of what lust is in the Bible. I'm going to take you to the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
The Old Testament is written primarily in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew word that's often translated lust is a word that means this. It means to stretch your hand or yourself out for something that you desperately want. It's the idea of stretching your hand, stretching your heart, stretching your eyes out for something that you really want. So you're reaching for something that you desire with great intensity. That's the idea. So lust is reaching outside of yourself to try to get something that you are wanting very, very passionately and very intensely. When we come into the New Testament, the the Greek word that is most often translated in the New Testament, the original language of the New Testament, primarily Greek, and the original word that's used there is a word that means a strong desire, a longing for something. And primarily it is an unbridled desire. It's one that you don't have good reins on. If you've ever gone horseback riding before and the horse got away from you, you know what I'm talking about. And lust is like that. It's like a horse. It's power, but it gets away from you. It's not power that is under control. It is power that's pulling you along towards something in your life, especially something of the senses. That's why we often will use the word sensuality going along with lust. So it's the idea of being pulled along, being dragged along, dragged into, pulled into something that we're intensely desiring, especially of the senses. Now, when I usually, when anyone mentions the word lust, we generally think of the word as it relates to sexuality. Most often, as soon as I mention the word, you're thinking sex, okay? And by the way, lust does, as we're going to see in a moment, have a lot to do with the sexuality, human sexuality, and how we respond appropriately to it. But you can lust after lots of things. You can lust after material things. You can lust after a car. You can lust after a house. You can lust after somebody's clothing. You can lust after all kind of material things. You can lust after power. There are people who are in lust with power. They're in lust with control. You can have an inordinate desire, an unbridled desire for all kinds of things, sensual things in your life that have nothing to do with sexuality. But it's also true that there is this lust thing that really does happen in the sexual dimension of a human being's life that we have to bring under control and learn how to bring under the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's especially true in the world in which we live today because our world is a sex-saturated culture, isn't it? It really is. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I did a little bit of research to understand something about the culture. I mean, it doesn't take a a rocket scientist to figure out that we're in a sex-saturated culture. All you need to do is flip through the television channels a little bit. You realize that everything that's there is giving you some kind of message related to sensuality or sexuality. I discovered that in the realm of sexuality in America today, the pornography business, which is one element that, that is associated with lust and sensuality, the pornography uh, uh, the pornography business in America is a 10 to 15 billion dollar annually annual business in America. F- 10 to 15 billion dollars. That's with a B. Now, to put this in perspective, Hollywood only generates about $10 billion in revenues, and so the pornography industry 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 is beyond that almost a half again. It's incredible to think about. I also discovered that right now, or actually back a couple of years ago, this data is a little bit old right now, but there were 420 million pages on the internet dedicated to pornography. 420 million pages on the internet. And every day, 68 million Americans will search something related to pornography. 
Every day, 68 million people are online, Googling, binging, whatever they're doing, trying to find a site that will give them some kind of connection with something that is lustful, something that is sensual, something that is lascivious, promiscuous, something that is pornographic. Let's bring this a little bit closer to home. In the age category of 18 to 34, that's the prime age category of young adults in America, 18 to 34, 70% of people between the ages of 18 and 34 will visit one pornographic site every month. It's incredible to think about. Every month, at least somebody in our young culture, 70% of them are visiting some kind of pornographic site. And the, the average age for the first viewing of pornography among young people in America is 11 years of age. These are all facts. Now, folks, let me tell you, if the average is 11, that means there are, there's a whole bunch younger than that. Oh, there's some older than that, but for the average to get to 11, there has to be a lot of folks that are younger than that that are being exposed to this. What is this doing to us? What is this doing to our culture? It certainly cannot be doing anything good for us. And what I want you to see is that lust, according to the Bible, is something that is after every one of us in a variety of realms. It's not just in the sexual area, but all kinds of lust. Let me take you to what the Apostle John says about this in his first epistle. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 15, these words he writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, do not love this world nor the things it offers, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers, let's take a look at what the world is offering you and me. The world offers only a craving, that's the same word for lusting, a craving or lusting for what? Physical pleasure, a craving or a lusting for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world, John says, understand this, this world is fading away along with everything that people lust after, everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So the Apostle John says this, this world that we live for, it's offering, we live in, is offering us this ongoing craving for physical pleasure. It is after us. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Throw off your old sinful nature, that's who we were before we met Christ, and your former way of life, again, before you met Jesus, which is, notice this statement Paul uses here, corrupted by, what's the word? Lust. Paul says this old nature you and I have inside of us is a nature that's been deteriorated by, corroded by, corrupted by this thing called lust along with deception. Colossians 3.15, Paul again writes and says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking where? within you. Have nothing to do. He's going to talk about these enemies lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity. What's the next word? Lust. So he's saying lust is an enemy lurking inside of you and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So there's that theme again. Same thing that John brought to our attention. Ephesians 5 verse 3. Don't allow love to turn into lust setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or bullying greed. And then he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, talking about a different expression of, 
of, of lust. He says, lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. So we see what the apostles wrote to the early church. And by the way, if they were struggling in the early church with this, would you agree that in 2013 we're really struggling with it? If they were struggling with this stuff in the first century without television and media and internet and all this kind of stuff, if it was an issue for them back there in the first century, is it an issue for us? Oh, a thousand times, a million times over, we're dealing with it in our culture today. Now, did Jesus say anything about lust? Yes, he did. In his Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the greatest teachings that Jesus gives in his New Testament ministry, his earthly ministry recorded in the New Testament, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, notice what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 28 and 29 about this topic. But I say, Jesus is saying this, anyone who even looks at a woman with, what's the word there, lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So here Jesus says this lust thing is not just about an act that you do with your body, it's about something that's going on in your eye, in your heart, it's something that you're doing internally, some kind of desire that's driving you to think about things that, you, that are really not good for you. And he says if your eye causes you to sin, what does he tell you to do? gouge it out. Now, is Jesus literally telling us to gouge our eyes out? No, He's speaking figuratively here. He's helping us to understand that if this stuff is in us, we need to be radical about the things that we do to get it out of our lives. So, it's not, so you can gouge both of your eyes out and still lust. Because lust is not first in your eyes, where in your heart. Jesus said, begin to do something that will shut down the gate to the heart that will allow you to be lustful. He says again in Mark chapter 7 these words about lust. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things. Now, vile is a strong word. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So here we're seeing that lust is a very active, powerful force. And it's in you, in your sinful nature, in my sinful nature, we are oriented toward lust. That's what the Scripture says, all right? Now, lust is not just an internal thing. It's also an external thing. I want you to see this very clear. Again, today I'm laying a foundation biblically for you. While there is lust inside of us, there are also spirits of lust outside of us. You with me? Lust in us because of our evil nature and the spirits of lust that exist in the invisible world around us. So you must understand that the world that we live in is a, is a, a world of, of two dimensions in, in the sense of visible and invisible. The visible world that we see, it's what we think of as reality, but just as surely as there is a visible world, there is an invisible world, there is a realm that exists that you cannot see with your natural eyes. 
And the Bible says that in that invisible realm, there are works of darkness, there are demonic entities that are moving about trying to trap people like you and me. Let's see what the Apostle Peter says about this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Would you please circle that first phrase there? Be alert. It says, get on the alert. Pay close attention. Wake up. It's sort of warning, warning, warning. Be alert and of sober mind. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here Peter says there is a true evil personality and he's known as the devil. Now you've got to get this. We all must understand this. The Bible treats the devil as a true and real personality that is invisible, but nevertheless is very real. And the Bible says that this one called the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. And who is he looking for? Look at your notes there. What does it say? He's looking for? He's looking for a circle. It's someone. He's looking for anyone he can find. He's looking for someone. Stop right there. He's looking for someone that he can gain access to. And then when he does gain access, he's looking for someone. He's on the prowl. He's trying to find someone that he can gain access into in some realm. And then when he gets there, what does he do to you? He devours you. He's looking for someone to devour. Actually, the Greek word that's used there means to drink down or to drown, to put under water where you can't breathe any longer, to suffocate and drown your life out. And so that's what the adversary does. Now, we must understand, again, there is this evil dimension in the invisible realm. Paul talks about it as well in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against whose schemes? So who's Paul talking about here? A personality called the devil. He says you've got to be strong in the Lord. Put on your armor because there is an adversarial force out there. His name is the devil, but it is not just the devil. There's some cohorts that, that are cooperating with the adversary. And he describes this in verse number 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, notice this, the rulers plural. The authorities, that's plural. Against the powers, that's plural. Of this dark world and against the spiritual forces, that's plural. Of evil in the heavenly realms. And so there is a devil that is singular. There are demonic entities or spiritual forces and rulers and powers of the dark world. This is plural. There are multiplicities of these that are out to get you and me. We live in a battleground, folks. You've got to understand this. And while lust is an inside thing, it is also an outside thing. And what the enemy is doing is he's prowling around like a lion looking for a prey, and he's looking for someone. He said, who can I find? Who who, who is vulnerable? We'll talk about more of these vulnerabilities in a moment. Who can I gain access to? Because as soon as he does, either he or some of his cohorts, as as he finds access to our lives, he begins to work something called devastation. He devours us internally. Now, notice this connection as James brings it all together. Again, we're, we're, we're laying foundation here. Okay, this is Bible study. Everybody good so far? Okay, good. James 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes from what? Our own what? 
our own desires, okay? That's, that's the lust. Again, the same word there, concept. From our own lust, our own desires, which entice us and drag us away or make us vulnerable. We might use that phrase. I think it's appropriate. These desires give birth to, to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives, birth, it gives birth to death. That is devastation or destruction in our lives. So here's what I want you to see. Follow this imagery with me. Inside of all of us in our evil nature, what is a part of our evil nature? Lust, right? Paul made it clear. He says, your former way of life, the way you were before you met Jesus, the sinful nature, everybody has it. So we all are born with a nature of sin. So within the, within the realm of this nature of sin, even though we've been born again, we still battle our sinful nature. And we will until Jesus comes back again. We're in the process of being sanctified, but at the same time, we have to battle. Anybody have to battle your flesh from time to time? Come on. You know it's real, right? Okay. So there's a battle that goes on, and there's part of that battle is your lust. And then on the outside, there's the enemy. There's the spirits of lust that come around trying to pull on, drag on, draw us into things that would be destructive for our lives. So how do we... How do we begin to strengthen ourselves? How do we make sure that this doesn't happen to us, that we don't fall into this? Let me give you three things as, again, foundational, and then we'll move to a practical, more practical application of this in a moment. The first thing, if you're going to overcome lust, you've got to grow your spiritual character. You've got to be strong on the inside. There has to be some inner muscle inside of you. You've got to have a spiritual strength. That's why Paul says be strong in the Lord. You've also got to have greater spiritual maturity. See, when you're mature, you see things for how they really are. When you're immature, you don't read things for what they really are. You make assumptions about stuff. How many of you learned when you grew up, life was different than you thought it was going to be, right? You thought money grew in the backyard on a tree. Then you grew up and realized, I got to get a job. And they pay me once a week, and, and I, you know, I got to work for my money. And so things change. You get educated when you grow up. You see things that you didn't see before. You understand, understand things you didn't understand before. Why? Because you're maturing, okay? And so the same is true in the spiritual realm of your life. If you're going to see things as you need to see them, you've got to grow up. Now, I have a word of the Lord for many of you here today. Are you ready for God's word to you today? This might be the only thing you get today, but it can change your life. Are you ready for it? Are you sure? Can I shoot straight with you? Here's God's word for you. Grow up. It's time to grow up. Some of you have been a spiritual baby for way too long, okay? And so you're wondering, why am I falling into all this stuff? Really simple. You're a baby, okay? You haven't learned. You haven't matured. And so you've got to make the decision. I'm moving on toward maturity. And then the third thing you have to do, and we'll talk more about this as we go along today and next week, you have to limit your exposure to anything and everything that is laced with lust. You've got to limit your exposure. Let me sh show you why this is important. I don't care how much character you have, and I don't care how mature you are, if you continually allow yourself to be exposed to stuff that's lustful, stuff that's bad for you in terms of those drawing on the lust of your heart, what I will tell you is this, that lust will surely start eating away at your character and eating away at your maturity. And so at, along with being a man or a woman of character and growing in maturity, you also have to make the decision, I'm going to make sure I limit my exposure to anything that can undermine this growth in my life. So the first principle, lust is what? It is after you. It's after you. The Bible teaches it clearly. Here's my second point. 
Lust looks for opportune moments to take over. It looks for opportune moments to take over. I touched on this a moment ago. The spirits of lust that is in the realm of darkness, and they do exist, whether you believe it or not, they do exist. We made it clear from 1 Peter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6. The spirits of lust look for opportune moments in your life and my life to, to pounce on us. Prowling around, looking for that opportune moment to, oh, this is the time I can get them now. Boom, pouncing, just like a, a lion prowls for prey. If I had the time this morning, I don't have the time, I wish I did, but if I had the time, I could take you through uh, some of the folks in the Bible who fell prey to lust in a variety of forms in their lives, I could show you the vulnerable moment when, they, when there was something that happened in their life that made them vulnerable and that it was an opportune moment that led them. David, we'll talk about next weekend how David was idle. He was not doing the things that a king ought to be doing and in that idle moment, he became vulnerable. There are all kind of patterns. Samson, another story in the Bible. Solomon, another story. Absalom, all kind of men and women of the Bible who fell prey, but they did so at an opportune moment, at a moment of vulnerability and a moment of weakness. And there's all, for all of us, there are moments when we're especially vulnerable to the spirits of lust grabbing hold of our lives. I'm going to give you a quick list of 12 things, and I'm going to dive in more specifically to nine as we're wrapping up today, but these are, these are 12 times when you and I are most vulnerable to the spirit of lust, when we're unfocused, when we're idle, when we're emotionally wounded or angry, when we're tired, when we're proud, when we're emotionally weak, fearful, or insecure, we're vulnerable to lust in a season of lack or leanness or loss, in a season of abundance and blessing when we're focusing on the wrong priorities, when we're listening to the wrong voices, when we're spiritually malnourished, or when we're spiritually isolated. All those are categories I would submit to you this morning for your own study, your own reflection and meditation. And again, I'm going to dive into nine of them right now and talk about them very, very specifically and very quickly. First of all, lust has a hard time taking control of your life when your priorities are ordered. When you have the right priorities, lust, the spirits of lust, have a harder time getting into your, your turf. See, or, priorities are all about what you value. It's all about what's most important to you. And the enemy loves to get your priorities all out of whack. Because when your priorities are out of whack, he can play around with you big time. And so that's why your priorities are so important. You say, well, what are the right priorities, Pastor, for, for somebody's life? I'll, I'll quickly tell you my priorities. My priority is, number one, God. I've got to keep Him first in my life all the time. If I don't keep God first, I'm in trouble. And the same is true for you. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. So God's got to be first. If God's not first, you're in trouble. The very first commandment, have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And so is God number one in your life. The second priority for me is my family. I can't do anything effective unless I have a right relationship with my wife, with my kids, do the best of my ability to have a good family life. And so I've got to care for them. That doesn't get in the way of serving God, but it's a part of serving God. So my responsibility is to make sure that I'm loving my wife, we're responding to each other, I'm loving my kids, we're doing what's necessary to have a healthy family life because I can't serve God with my life if I'm not effectively living my life at home, right? 
My third responsibility is my service to God, my ministry. And all these flow together. They are not against each other. They work in harmony together, okay? And so out of this, I begin to say, now God, use my life in whatever way you want to use it, professionally, ministry, church-wise. I'm available as a vessel to you. And so you keep your, your priorities in order. See, when you are ordered in your priorities, you're protected against the adversary. You got that? Very important. Number two, you're less vulnerable to an attack of lust when, you're, when you are appropriately busy, everybody say the word busy, attending to your God-given assignments. My mother used to tell me idleness is the devil's workshop. Anybody ever heard that before? Well, it's true. That when you and I are idle, we're, we're, just, don't, we, we're just doing nothing. One of the worst things you can be in your life is doing nothing. Because when you're doing nothing, Satan can play around with you. That's why you and I need to order our life, yes, by, by priorities, but be busy with something that's, that's God-given to your life, healthy things for your life. Number three, you need to be practicing the Sabbath principle. If you and I are going to stay protected against the spirit of lust, there is something the Bible refers to as the Sabbath principle. The Sabbath principle is that there's at least one day out of your week that you're setting apart for the worship of God, for the recreation, renewal, if you will, of your spirit before God, that you've, you've established this as a rest day. The word Sabbath means rest. And so you're establishing not only an, a dimension of rest in terms of your activity, but rest in terms of your spirit. Because it's not just enough. You can be sitting at home doing nothing and still be restless. And so there needs to be a rest in your spirit. So the Sabbath principle is to come to a place of rest in your life and learn how to rest appropriately. Number four, that you're living in love and forgiveness. I found in my life that when I'm walking in love and I'm walking in forgiveness, I'm less vulnerable to all kinds of things. And the same is true in the marriage. Let's say, talk about marriage, for example. If you're walking in love with your spouse and in forgiveness with your spouse, guess what? You're going to be less vulnerable to, to temptations, to infidelity and other kinds of things in your life. Why? Because you're living in love. You're living in forgiveness. Number five, everybody still with me? You're less vulnerable to lust when you're processing and managing your emotions properly. Everybody has emotions. You have them all all over the place every day. And there's nothing wrong with emotions. Everybody has emotions. Sometimes you're going to feel one thing or feel another. The key to emotions is not to allow your emotions to lead your life. Your emotions should never be the dictator of your life. It should never be the guide or director of your life. But I will tell you that if you don't process your emotions, your emotions will start leading your life. Have you ever been hijacked by one of your emotions before? Oh, you have, haven't you? I have. An emotion came up and you found yourself saying and doing things. So how did I get here? Well, my emotions led me over here. They hijacked me and brought me over here. Oh, you know what? I got angry and I didn't deal with it the right way. And so my anger hijacked me and took me somewhere I didn't want to be, okay? And I wake up, so my goodness, look at what I did or said. I didn't want to be there because I didn't process emotions well. I don't know how you process emotions but you better process them. And that's, I'm not just talking to ladies here, I'm talking to men too, okay? Because men, you may not acknowledge it, but you have emotions as well. We all do, okay? Let me tell you how I process my emotions. You don't have to do it my way, you find your own way. I don't know what your way will be or what will work for you. This is what works for me. 
What I do is I, I regularly journal, okay? I get a piece of paper out and I write. And I just begin to write the stuff that I'm thinking about and going through and maybe what emotions might be in my life at any point in time. And I just write, 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 write. And I realize what happens is through the end of my pen, my emotions start coming out. And then I'm able to see what I'm dealing with. I can actually look at my piece of paper and I can say, oh, okay, that's what's going on inside of me. And then I'm able then at that point to pray my way through it. I don't let it stay that way. But I say, you know what, I'm realizing I'm angry about this. I need to get this out of my system. And so I pray my way through it. So this almost, your journaling becomes a prayer list for you to process your emotions so that they're not just grabbing you and taking you to places where otherwise you do not would not want to go. And so a lot of people find themselves susceptible to, vulnerable to lustful things, all because they haven't dealt with their emotions the right way. Number six, you have to make sure that you're carefully choosing the voices that you listen to. If you're going to be protected against the spirits of lust in your life, you've got to carefully choose the voices you are listening to. Folks, listen, people's words affect you more than you realize. I'm going to get into your, your world just a little bit more today. Boy, it's quiet in the room today. And before I get into your world a little bit more, let me say something that will help you understand where I'm coming from. I am, I am not a legalistic pastor. I don't believe that we earn favor with God by all the things that we do. We're accepted by God, not by anything we do, but by His grace. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. And so I don't have to perform to get God to accept me. And I'm glad that He loves me when I'm good. I'm glad He loves me when I'm bad. Aren't you glad? Okay. He loves me all the time because I live in a relationship with a God of grace. And I'm thankful for His grace, right? But please understand something about the grace of God. Just because God is a gracious, forgiving, and loving God, and He loves you just like you are, accepts you just like you are, and I'll talk more about that in a moment, but please understand that when grace comes to your life through Jesus Christ, it comes to change you. It comes to make you into a different person. It comes to change the way you think, the way you behave, the choices that you make. And there are times that you have to start putting aside stuff in your life that's not good for you. You have to make some hard choices. Let's talk about, for example, here I go. I'm going to dive into the deep end of the pool. Are you ready? Let's talk about the movies you watch. Oh, pastor, don't go there. I'm not talking legalism here. I'm talking about your health, your spiritual health, okay? See, you know, when you go to a movie, there, there are pictures and dialogue that goes on, correct? Come on, you know that, right? You watch a picture and you listen to the dialogue, correct? It's called communication, okay? And so from that screen that you're watching, a message is being communicated to you. And the question is, is that message that is being communicated from that screen the kind of message that will help me spiritually or will it hurt me spiritually? See, I'm not talking legalism here. I'm talking about making wise choices with your life. And this is the difference many times between spiritual strength and success and spiritual failure. Let's go a little bit further into it, especially for the young folks here today. How about your music? We'll say, Pastor, what's wrong with listening to all? I just love all kinds of music, Pastor. Don't, don't start, start talking to me about my music. Let me tell you something about music. 
You say, well, I just like the beat. I just like the music. Well, let me tell you, guess what? Most music has, has words. Have you noticed that? And if you haven't figured this out, words are communicating a message. That's what words do. If you haven't thought about this before, that's what words do. And so when you listen to a song, you might think you're just listening to the music, but if there are words, that wor- those words are coming into your spirit and heart and mind as well, and it's forming, it's affecting how you view your world. You may not think it is, you may not realize it, but it's beginning to shape your mind and form your mind, and what's happening if you're listening to things that are worldly, it's going to create a worldly mindset, okay? Your mind, you you will, you will begin to, to, to deviate from a Bible-centered mindset and begin to invest in and believe in and buy into a world mindset. So all I'm saying to you is be very, very careful with the, the voices that you allow into your life. All right, everybody good? Okay, I'm done with that point. You can breathe, all right? Number seven, you're less vulnerable to lust when you're secure in God's love. You're secure in God's love. Write it down and look this way because I want to say something again that may be the most important thing that someone will hear today. You don't need the acceptance of anyone to prove that you're valuable. The only acceptance that you need that proves that you're valuable is acceptance from God Almighty. You don't need somebody else to validate your worth. Are you hearing me? You know what pulls a lot of people into bad relationships? They're looking for someone to validate their worth. Someone, make me feel better about me. Accept me because I feel so horrible about myself or I don't feel so good about myself. And if you will accept me, if you'll let me into your world, if you will allow me to be a part of who you are, then I will feel better about me. Let me remind you of something. No one will ever be able to meet that deepest need in your life of acceptance apart from God. And I will assure you as well that somewhere along the line, no matter how loving a person might be, they're not going to be able to love you as fully as you need to be loved. But God can love you to the nth degree, to the dimension that you need to be loved, and to know that you're accepted by God as the greatest acceptance you'll ever have in your life. And what that does is it frees you up. It'll free you up from getting into bad relationships. See, sometimes people get, I I watch them and I say, don't go out with that guy, no! He's nothing but trouble! With a capital T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Oh, but pastor, I just need somebody in my life. Well, you don't need trouble in your life, okay? And you reverse it. It can be a man, woman, it doesn't matter. But sometimes the vulnerabilities of our heart, this need to be accepted, allows us or pulls us into things that can be very devastating to our future. And so be secure in God's love. I have two more. We're just about done. The next one, you're protected when you're humble. Humility is a great thing. Learn, practice humility. Pride is a horrible thing. The Bible says that God resists the proud. Let me tell you something. If you don't think you're proud, if you think you're humble, let me say it this way. If you think you're humble, you're proud. If you wear a badge that says, I'm humble, 
get my book, Humility and How I Achieved It. You have a problem. Because pride lurks in every human heart. My heart, your heart, every heart that's here, pride raises its ugly head from time to time. It lurks in all of us, and so we have to keep it at bay. We have to deal with it, recognize it as it shows up. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. The Bible says that pride goes before the fall. As soon as you think you've got the world like a tiger by the tail, you're in trouble. The last point is make sure you're spiritually nourished and connected. If you want to protect yourself against lust, stay nourished. Can I just commend you this morning? You got up on a day that you could have been in bed, you could have slept in, you could have done a lot of different things today, but you know what you did? You got up and you came to the house of God. You know why you came today? Yeah, my wife dragged me. No, no, that's not good. No. <laughs> you know why you came today? Because there was something inside of you that says, I need God's word. I need God. I commend you for being here today. I'm going to tell you something. Because you are here today, you're stronger. You're stronger than the folks that made a choice not to be in God's house today. That's why the Bible says, don't you forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't you do that because you'll get into trouble if you do. Don't let the adversary isolate you and drag you off by yourself and remove you from the body of Christ because when that happens, when you get out there on your own, you're in trouble. That's why you need to be plugged into the life of a church. You need to be a part of it. All that's related to us being spiritually protected. You say, well, pastor, I know someone that was a part of the church and they still messed up. Well, yeah. But I know a lot more who are not a part of a church who mess up, okay? See, being in a church doesn't keep you from every sin in your life, but I guarantee you being outside of the life of the church will make you a whole lot more vulnerable to those things in your life. So make sure that you're spiritually nourished day by day and week by week and that you remain spiritually connected. If you do that, you're beginning to establish some protection points against that lust that is within you and the old sinful nature and the spirits of lust that are after you externally, and God helps us to avoid those opportune moments of vulnerability in our lives. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. We're so very grateful for the opportunity of studying. We believe that you're speaking to our lives today in a very rich and real way. I pray you'll take these words, seal them deeply within us. Help us to grab them at a heart level, God. We don't want the letter of the law today. We want the spirit of your word to challenge us, to, yes, correct us, to encourage us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. And if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you.
Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.